0: According to recent estimates from the World Health Organization, around 3.2 billion people, almost half of the world's population, are at risk of malaria. For many years, because of the potential harm of missing cases, treatment strategies for malaria have encouraged overdiagnosis and overtreatment. However, with the falling incidence of malaria and increasing availability of diagnostic tests, there is now growing concern among policymakers and clinicians. The overtreatment of malaria is associated with clinical, financial, and public health harms. An analysis article in the BMJ outlines the challenges of reducing malaria overtreatment, and I'm joined now by Dr. Eleanor Ochodo, senior scientist at the Centre for Evidence Based Healthcare at Stellenbosch University in Cape Town, and one of the authors of the article. Eleanor, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Eleanor, in the article, you describe how up until about 15 years ago, organisations such as the WHO promoted a strategy known as presumptive treatment of malaria. Can you take us through what the rationale is behind this kind of treatment?
1: Um, Well, I'll just start with uh, a simple definition of presumptive. It's treatment based on probabilities where no tests are available. So it's basically where you... You suspect a disease is present, but because of the because of not having access to tests, you treat anyway for the disease. It's a way of just balancing benefits and risks. So in this particular case, presumptive treatment was promoted at that time because of the high prevalence of malaria. No tests are available, and at that time, the consequences of treated treatment was not so bad in that. The drug that was being used at that time, chloroquine, was cheap and it was well tolerated. So that is the rationale behind presumptive treatment.
0: So this was an effective treatment strategy at the time?
1: Uh, yes, it was effective at that time because of, of the high prevalence of malaria and the high rate of mortality, it helped to avert very many deaths. So at that time, it seemed uh, as a um, a useful way of trying to prevent
0: mortality as a result of malaria okay but now as you describe in the article um, we have a situation where there is increasing availability of tests and treatments which um, may change the picture because a diagnosis can potentially be confirmed before treatment is initiated um, can you tell us a bit about these tests and the evidence behind them well, the idea of these particular tests
1: was to find a replacement to what was being used. Microscopy, uh, an experienced microscopist can identify malarial parasites. But the disadvantage of microscopy was that, um, um, first of all, accessibility was very difficult. Getting qualified personnel to be able to use these tests and interpret them correctly was, was becoming a challenge. So the idea was, if we, want to, if we want to promote testing, what's the most effective way in low-income settings? And the, the idea of rapid diagnostic tests came about. This particular test, they identify antigens produced by the malarial parasites in the, in the blood of the infected person. A blood specimen is taken by finger prick from an infected person and then inserted onto that test, which is a really small test. Uh, A positive test is defined as uh, when the test line appears visible, and a negative test is when that test line does not appear, uh, is invisible. So now you can picture a resource-limited setting where you have very busy clinics, limited personnel, and, with, and the laboratory network is not advanced. So in this particular scenario, such particular tests seem to be quite useful if you bear in mind the challenges, the health system challenges in low-income settings.
0: Okay. Um, and are those tests reasonably accurate?
1: Yes. So a Cochrane review was conducted to just summarize the sensitivity and specificity of these tests. So the, the summary estimates were quite were, were high in that the sensitivity was 95% and specificity was 95%. So the, the accuracy estimates are quite, I mean, they're, they're, they're high, not perfect, but they're good
0: they sound quite promising yes um, and can potentially reduce overtreatment now can you explain for us what why are we worried about overtreatment what are the potential um, risks there
1: prevalence rates for malaria are declining recent estimates show that malaria mortality has decreased by over 60% since 2000 incidence has also has also decreased by about 37%. So this is quite promising. So if you look at with with this, the the old method of having a blanket treatment for suspected cases will really not be useful in a setting where the prevalence is low. Uh, Using the blanket treatment approach will mean that you're giving drugs to people who are not infected. Uh, And using the available drug, which is atomycinin-based combination therapies, to drugs which may be expensive, which are, are expensive, and then also just to the associated side effects of these particular drugs. And the most uh, concerning thing is resistance. For example, this particular drug, the artes- artemisinin based combination therapies, has shown some, there have been cases of resistance emerging to this particular drug in, south, in Southeast Asia. But Okay no no resistance has yet been documented well in African countries but it's a risk. So just having irrational treatment of malaria based on this drug will also encourage resistance and we do not want that.
0: Even with the availability of these diagnostic tests in the article you describe some scenarios where overtreatment might still occur. Can you talk us through those scenarios? With, with the first scenario where Uh, testing
1: is not done. This could be rapid diagnostic tests or microscopy. The drivers of this particular scenario are mostly logistical, where tests are not available or is a high patient load and, and staff do not have the time to administer these tests. And interventions for this are more or less related to the health system, better purchasing and restocking of systems or task shifting to non-clinical staff, meaning using community health workers to diagnose this malaria in the community, or not even engaging private private sector um, um, where most people, uh, where most majority of people seek treatment from. The second scenario is where testing is done, but the test shows a negative result. Now, drivers of these are mostly behavioral in that uh, both clinicians and patients do not trust these test results. This could be because of the risk of missing malaria and the consequences thereof. And also patients may fear that if they're not treated with malaria, they may develop complications. So interventions for these are are myriad and also tricky because effecting behavior change is not easy. So it can range from lots of multifaceted interventions, ranging from training, uh, patient communication strategies, or reliable audits of, the, of of RDT tests. The last one is based on the, uh, the fact that tests are not perfect, in that the tests can give a positive result, but the test is falsely positive. Now, these particular tests, RDTs are, have a very high specificity, meaning that they have a low rate of false, they have a low false positive rate. So meaning a few cases may still be treated with malaria. But however, these cases are really few and may not really impact much on a public health scale. And drivers of this are technical, and interventions for this will be more of, you know, having more research and development into more specific tests. And such research and development is, is underway, but the tests are not yet commercially available. So, in summary, that is the that was the idea behind presenting this figure.
0: So, um, I guess following on from that, because you've outlined what the drivers of those each kind of um, over treatment that might occur, what then are the strategies that might be used to reduce over treatment?
1: Now, the strategies varied, and it depends on all these different sorts of all these different scenarios. Um, So in this particular paper, we did not really want to aim at saying that this is what works. We just wanted to show show the public what is being evaluated. And so these interventions can range from health system interventions to behavioral change interventions to research-based interventions. Now for health systems, I could mention uh, mobile-based technology that's being used in African countries. Uh, this is, this is, has been proved successful for reducing stockouts for the at- missing uh, based therapies and antimalarial and other antimalarial drugs. So this is where mobile technologies and web- web-based platforms are used to monitor stocks in various health facilities. And then the person in charge can uh, monitors their stocks and can place orders well in advance, reducing stockouts. So this has proved effective for drugs, and now is being used for to see if, if it can be effective with with rapid diagnostic tests. And then also other interventions could be again engaging private the private sector. Uh, now based on this, subsidies were were um, subsidies were were agreed upon to to reduce the price of mal- anti-malarial drugs the ACT drugs and this was proved to be successful now with regard to testing we are trying to people are trying to see if this idea of including subsidies can also be effective in reducing the the prices of testing and in a way of if the tests are low then they can be incorporated by private sector so there's a lot of a discussion ongoing in this particular area. And another also intervention on this could be using uh, non-clinical staff community health workers where they they go to the community and diagnose malaria and based on the results of the test, they they um, they can provide treatment. This is just a way of trying to shift the burden of, you know, the burden of treating patients in health facilities. Now, the second one intervention is based on uh, behavioral drivers of overtreatment. As I mentioned before, effective behavioral change is difficult and it's quite contextual. You have to bear into mind the culture, the culture of a particular area, the health-seeking habits of a particular area, and how generally uh, doctors communicate with patients. So, when it comes to behavioural change, if you look at from the professional angle, it could, it could, it could mean constant education and supervision of healthcare staff. And, with, and when you're communicating with them, showing them evidence, preferably evidence that's generated from the local context. And then patient communication strategies, that when you're not looking at the angle of patients, How do doctors communicate results and the consequences of test results to patients? Do they do it in such a way that patients actually believe believe their management plan? So in many areas, because of time and lots of pressures, doctors don't even communicate with patients. So by then, they don't really believe uh, management strategies that are normally placed before them. So in many low-income settings, even if they see a doctor and the doctor does not give them Antimalarial drugs, they go to a retail center and buy the drugs by themselves. So that's a problem. Now, the last intervention based on research is based on the, the technical drivers of overtreatment. treatment And as I said before, there's lots of research ongoing in this particular area to come up with more sensitive and specific tests. And then there's also a program that's, that helps to assure that the quality of the available tests are high. So the WHO has a program uh, which regularly monitors the quality of available tests, just to make sure that the tests that are being made available to the public are of high quality. And they have a a minimal chance of missing missing malaria cases or coming up with false positive results.
0: Great. So there's a lot of different strands there and that will presumably require quite a coordinated approach. Um, are you seeing policymakers at a kind of national or international even malaria control level incorporating these ideas to be enacted? Uh, yes,
1: some have already been incorporated. Uh, I will just start again from, for example, the, when you think about the last I have mentioned, trying to tackle the technical drivers of of over-treatment, false positive results. The WHO, in partnership with lots of partners, are having a quality assurance program to to make sure that tests being made available to malaria control programs are of high quality. So this is already being, being incorporated. Behavioral change interventions to counter Behavioral drivers of overtreatment are already being affected. In that um, many malaria control programs are coming up with training programs where they train healthcare staff at, the, um, at regular intervals on just the, uh, the importance of testing and the consequences of testing, trying to assure the, um, clinical staff that these tests are indeed accurate and reliable. So that's ongoing. With regard to health system interventions, as I mentioned before, um, mobile technology is being used at an increased rate in in sub-Saharan Africa in healthcare settings. The task shifting of of, of treatment is being being incorporated in that lots of community health workers are being used for, for many aspects. Now a few studies have been have been published, trying to show that engaging with the private sector is indeed can be helpful. So such studies have been done in in Ghana, just trying to and in Uganda, just trying to show that incorporating subsidized RDTs or even free some or using free free RDTs in private sector can really help in. to encourage testing before treatment so initial studies are showing that it's a promising venture now time will tell as more studies get published and people look critically at the evidence that's being generated and again the area of subsidies is economical and lots of factors have to be put into place before a clear strategy can be effected with regard to subsidizing rdts and making them available in private sector
0: Okay, well, hopefully we'll see more developments come through to achieve this major shift in approach. Um, So thank you so much, Dr. Eleanor Ochodo. And that analysis article, Achieving Universal Testing for Malaria, is now available on the bmj.com.